I just want to lift up that, like, in, in this moment, there was some real anger transference into this situation. Like, you let it out. And I, I cannot wait to see that the next time we get to be in front of a, like, Senate Health Committee or, I, or the House Special been... Select Committee on Bullshit. This is Kelly in the future editing this podcast and I just wanted to mention to you that this podcast was recorded um, a couple weeks ago on June 11th and so some of the stuff we talk about is uh, older but it's still relevant and the conversation is still relevant so I hope you enjoy this podcast. So um, our soul we are we are our bearing soul. our soul but it is repro yes. soul right like um i i think it's like our soul for me really works because it's we have a lot of r's in our life right like yeah. we have we have reproductive like reproductive freedom reproductive rights reproductive health um how we come to support organizations that are doing reproductive justice Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the big R for religion, right? Which is yeah. something I, I feel like we both manage, um, religion in our lives because religion can be that two edged sword in so yeah. many ways. Like sure. as a, as a pastor, when I tell people that I'm a pastor or I tell people that I, I work in religious nonprofits immediately, I either get, Oh, or Oh, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's like, yeah. So the our soul, I think it is part of our soul. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's part of my soul, religion and reproductive freedom. Um, when um, I first decided that I wanted to go into like religious work or like just nonprofit work with like a religious background, um, I remember like when I decided that um, I had to make it like a big decision or else I wasn't going to tell people about it. Like I was (laughs) nervous about telling my college friends and just my friends that like I wanted to, originally I wanted to be a pastor because I was afraid that would mean like they thought that I was going to be like very conservative and very like, I don't know, thinking some type of way. Also that I would never cuss again, that I would be a perfect little angel. and I, I don't think that those two things go together. Um, right. Any part of that. I mean, like, just because somebody might be religious does not mean that they're perfect at all. Um, and also, it does not mean that you are um, conservative. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not anti-choice and I'm not uh, mm-hmm. anti-gay and I'm not racist. What if I was racist? <laughs> just a racist against myself. I'm telling you. It does happen, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, self, self-loathing self is a huge part of yeah. uh, experience for, I would say, most people in our, our culture and society. We're Midwesterners, let's be honest. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, the reason the reason that we all own a 9 by 13 casserole dish is because we eat our feelings and feel bad, right? Like, that's, <laughs> that's part of our natural uh, process. You say is, I eat a cookie. <laughs> 
<laughs> let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm I'm not eating right now because I've already had I've already had plenty. My my soul is good and filled right now. But um, um, yeah, I I think though part of our our process as human beings living in the state of Ohio right now is that um, there is a, a great deal of frustration, call it self-loathing, call it um, identity uh, discernment that is all up in the air. When we tell people, oh, we work for you know reproductive justice in Ohio, People don't know what in the hell to think about that, especially when we say, oh, by the way, our organization explicitly organizes religious persons and people with faith spiritual backgrounds. Like, Ohio Ohio in the national news media um, has been just this real cluster of crazy for a long, long while. You know, we are the swing state, except... We're solidly controlled by, you know, a supermajority of one political party. Yeah. We are the heart of it all, but we can't seem to get our ourselves together on, um, you know, anything uh, worthwhile. Education, health care, uh, any kind of incarceration issues. Like, we're always toward the, the bottom, you know, 45, 46, 47 out of 50 in, in yeah. rankings of states. Like... Yeah. We're just kind of in a mess right now. I mean, I <laughs> on like, a lot of levels. I think yeah. like Ohio's Ohioans in general, at least the Ohioans of my generation, um, are like very we don't like Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Like in general. Like there's you know, the stereotype that like Ohio is like very boring and also it's like very conservative and there's lots of corn and um I think like a lot of people especially like um more politically active people that are like younger uh do not like ohio and yet we're like still here still trying to do things um yeah it's kind of a, a mixture of self-loathing <laughs> and uh yeah. and also like you know a belief that we can do better and we can like be better um yeah and I and I think there's a sense of like, oh, I like my people, but I don't like big policies in the state. Like, yeah, you know, we can joke about Ohio all day long. And at the end of the day, we look around at the people that we love and we're like, well, you know, our people are here. And I, I feel like for me, that's a large part of why Ohio. I have lots of friends from seminary who, you know, have, have gone to all corners of the nation and beyond our nation and I often get people asking me like why are you still in Ohio as it as if you know that comes with a preconceived notion of you know you should not be in that place still and and I always have to remind people like you know for me it might not be the right place forever but it's the right place now and there's a lot of work to be done in this place right like you know, part of our, our work with Ohio RCRC and, you know, why we're we're starting this podcast is that we have a huge number of people who don't share the values that are being, you know, regularly codified in our state. And folk have just not been able to organize uh, because there hasn't been that kind of broad-based cultural movement yet. Yeah. Um, and. Of, uh... I saw something recently 
um, one of my, or actually it was the chaplain from my college. Do you know David McDonald? No, I don't. Okay. He, he also graduated from MTSO, which is where oh. he went and where yeah, I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, David was my chaplain at Ohio Northern where I went to college and he recently posted something that said like, um, for, for those people who have like quietly supported, um, black lives and care about black lives but have not <coughs> said anything about it because it wasn't politically um it it could have some political issues or you know it could upset some of your congregants this is your sign that you need to say something mm. and i think like a lot of people um may believe that they're like um like alone in their feelings on things um when they're not alone like for example, when I was when I was in college, um, and I realized that I was queer, I thought that like I was the only queer person, like in my friend group. And then now that we've all graduated, we've all like come out to each other. And um, I think like having a, a podcast like this and having like even just having Ohio RCRC um, is kind of a way of showing people that um, you know religious people are pro-choice. Um, and they're not alone in having, like, progressive ideals, even though we live in a, a state that's controlled by a Republican majority that likes to use religion to back up their beliefs. Um, well, their beliefs are not necessarily the same for everyone and cannot, um, are not necessarily based on, um, the same sacred text, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I think what... For me, as a Christian pastor who is explicitly unfundamentalist, mm-hmm. um, what is so fascinating to me is that we have a system in the state where the religious beliefs of a very small minority of people, uh, that is, you know, Christian fundamentalists, people who are on the far, far edge of Christianity, um, those people and their beliefs get to codify their religious beliefs into state law because the vast majority of other folk, even though they don't hold those beliefs and they don't support those beliefs, haven't gotten organized around anything else. Yeah. And, you know, for me, living in, in uh, southern Ohio, I'm from Chillicothe. Uh, that's, that's where I live. Um, when... I start to speak out on any issue around reproductive choice. I'm really in the minority because most people don't want to talk about it. And the folk who do want to talk about it are not on my end of the spectrum uh, at all. So for me, when I when I found Ohio RCRC, it was like, you know, a, a healing balm and a vacation, like, you know, a martini and a, and a lazy river at a water park somewhere, you know, you, you could, you could see where my typical vacation plans rest, right? Lay, lay around, do nothing and drink, right? Uh, but <laughs> just saying, I, you know, it, if you're going to have a vacation, have a vacation, right? But, uh, you know, when I, I first heard that Ohio RCRC was a thing, Right. I had I had to really research because it was like 
that can't be. Like, are these people, is this just like a front group for some, like, radical right-wing organization? Like, I I had, like, right, I had this deep fear that I was like, is this just a trap? Are they just trying to get people's names so they can target folks? And when I found out, oh, no, these, these folk are doing real work with, you know, vulnerable people on the ground, um, and it, as a matter of fact, one of the first events that that came across my radar was a clinic blessing. And I'm like, oh, how cool. Mm-hmm. And I remember reaching out to our executive director now, Elena, uh, Elena Ramsey, saying, you know, um, I'm in Chillicothe, Ohio, but I would love to come up to Columbus and participate in a clinic blessing because this sounds like amazing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it then, but Elena... Um, really spent a lot of time vetting me and like figuring out who is this guy like doing the online research of like why am I getting a random call from a random pastor in Chillicothe because you know it's just not a normal thing to have somebody call up out of the blue and say hey can I help bless an abortion clinic Mm -hmm. and we were able to connect you know Ohio RCRC and and me um, in that moment And exactly what you said, Kelly, happened. There was this piece of me that woke up that said, wow, other people think the same way that I do, have the same spiritual convictions that I do for trusting other people to make decisions. You know, this idea that I believe in a God who loves us so much that we shouldn't just be alive, we should be alive and thriving. Um, it was extremely powerful. And for me, that's that's my hope in the work that we do, that we would be able to help build that solidarity across the whole state to where people know that they're not alone. You might be in a minority in terms of people who are speaking out right now, but you are definitely not alone. And not only that... You are not in the minority. The majority of people in this state and indeed in this nation support choice overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to have that conversation about, so why, if we all support this, are we not willing to organize around this? What are the roadblocks, the barriers to this movement being able to go forward and, and, you know, write laws and legislation that don't comport with the fundamentalist Christian minority. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's really... When you're saying that, although I think you mean it as a rhetorical question, like the things that I think of is like why, why we're not um, moving forward or moving the, the movement, this like progressive movement forward. The reason that we're not like passing legislation and all of this stuff is because A... Um, we have not, um, well, actually, A, gerrymandering. I looked at a, a map the other day of, like, how, like, Jim Jordan got elected, and it's oh my ridiculous. Lord. A- um, so, A, reason we can't a, pass B, C, D, and E, yeah, like. Uh, gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. And then. Mm-hmm. And the state house that, districts like, are worse. I feel like but... there's this, uh this oh gosh the, the word that's coming to mind is caucasity you know the audacity of white people <laughs> anyway there's this like there's lay it this, out there 
yeah, Caucasity. Um, it is. It is. White audacity. In this Caucasity, um, yeah. Willingness to say what's on your mind and for some reason not have any, like, qualms about it that people who are, like, uh, conservative have that I think a lot of progressive people are, like, too afraid. Like, they don't want to lose any support that they might have and so they're unwilling to, like, go that far. I am totally willing to go that far. I, like, because... A lot of things that I've been reading and, like, listening to, I listen to a, stuff, a lot of, like, political stuff, um, like, podcasts, and um, I read, I skim articles. Let's be real, I skim articles. <laughs> um, anyway, but they talk about, like, how um, the, the left needs to be willing to do the same stuff that the right is doing. Like, we need to take their... Um, strategies and the the things that they're willing to do you know to an extent obviously we don't want to like uh not like go past our own morals like we're not going to we're not going to go protest in the street with guns like that's that's not what we're going to do because that's not what we're for you know right but, but i'm all about bringing dildos right like like dildos yeah, dental dams yeah. condoms you... like yeah i'm just yes. saying no yes. i i'm totally but with we you need to be like i think i think like a lot of the time people are just not willing to be upfront about like being pro-choice or being pro-gay like just kind of uh like i was talking about earlier like just being quiet and quietly supporting these things and like um you know in the background um people may know that you're like supportive of these movements and then you're not public right but like honestly the people on the right are being public with it. We just well, need to start being public with and, it too. And frankly, um, I I don't think there is any analysis of that political observation. The the observation that conservatives tend to be bold and loud, and progressives tend to be bashful and strategic, right? I I don't think there's any analysis of that reality that cannot come back to, and and that ultimately won't come back to. A question about religion because the reality is folk on the hard right are sure that they are right and they are willing to offend whoever they need to offend to advance what they are sure is correct and when you have an evangelical mindset like that like I am going to make sure that you get this right because if you don't get this right you're going to hell that's a very different motivator than like liberal Christians like me who don't believe in hell, who when we hear somebody who has a different viewpoint than us, we go, oh, perhaps I should listen because maybe I'm wrong, right? Because at the end of the day, for, for those of us who are progressives or liberals in terms of our theology and our thinking, we're really not afraid that if we get this wrong, somehow there's going to be this divine punishment of wrath that separates us from the mm-hmm. love of God for all eternity. Like, who in the world picked that up? Mm-hmm. But for people who believe that, for people who, who hold that as their, their mindset and their worldview, their, their cultural identity is tied to that as well, they have absolutely no qualms in advancing in whatever means necessary that agenda. And if that means harming other people, if that means silencing other people, if that means gerrymandering districts so that, quote-unquote, the right people get into positions, they will do that, and they have done that, even to the point of 
deciding who should live and who shouldn't. You know, we we just had a a great uh, memorial vigil for Dr. George Tiller, you know, who um, 11 years ago and a few days now uh, was assassinated by uh, a forced birth extremist. That viewpoint comes from the idea that the assassin knew, I have a truth that is so right that it demands that I literally kill someone else to advance my agenda that I label as pro-life, right? Like all of that gets wrapped up into why some people speak and some people don't. And you know, for me, you can't, you can't see me, but I'm rolling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Right. Right. Like (laughs) it's, it's so much because, and, and what we're facing right now. And you know, for me, for me as a, as a white cisgender middle-class gay male, right? Um, I am so frustrated in this time because I see people who look like me and who are like me in almost every respect, right? Advancing this agenda in a cultural way that is not being opposed in any effective measure by traditional political mindsets. You know, there there's a political mindset of, you know, we have to win elections and we have to put different people in the seats and if we have different people in the seats, we'll have different outcomes. And that's that's a, you know, a great time-tested uh model for political change, but it has proved completely and utterly impotent in the face of this fundamentalist Christian onslaught that we're experiencing. And what we're seeing at Ohio RCRC is that the work we're doing is not about electoral change primarily. It's about this cultural change. You know, I don't care what political party uh, respects women and femme choice, respects choices of all people over their bodies, respects and uplifts bodily agency. I don't care who does it as long as they do it. Now, right now, I know one political party is much, 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 much more likely um, to move in that direction than the other. But at the end of the day, it's the whole culture that has to change because it is the culture Mm -hmm. that's keeping some people quiet and other people loud. Right. And, you know, I I think for me, that's that's the great wonder of the work that we do, because we are not here for an election cycle. We are not here for a campaign cycle. Um, We're not looking at a a four-year vision, a six-year vision, eight-year vision. We're looking at a 150-year vision of what we could have in this nation and in this state if we would just let go of our opposition to letting people do what they need to do with their own reproductive freedom. Um, so, you know, people ask me, they say, well, what's your, what's your long-term goal and your short-term goal? And I keep telling people, well, our long-term goal and short-term goal are the same thing. And that's that everybody's free, damn it. You know, like, like freedom is a real issue. Now, lots of things go into that, obviously, and we have other initiatives and we work on things piece by piece, but, you know, ultimately that's the goal. Like, it's pretty simple, folks, right? And kind of along the the lines of uh, the progressive idea that, like, um, we're okay with being wrong. Like, it's kind of hard to, to set a 
a long-term goal that is like very specific you know like our long-term goal is to um have people be free um but like to set a different long-term goal um outside of like wanting reproductive freedom and um wanting like freedom in general um would not allow for that like ability to be wrong right well Um, and we demand more of ourselves than than our our theological and intellectual opponents do because the reality is people say well what's your what's your long-term strategy and how are you going to get there we all get mired down in this crap when the answers to those questions for the other side are in 150 years we want to be back where we were 150 years ago we we yeah. you know the 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 conservative mindset this this anti-choice mindset right is we want to not change anything and if we do change something we want to go back not forward right and that should be not just terrifying but that ought to be infuriating for every single person in this world that we have an entire you know intellectual body of leadership in this state that thinks we aren't going to come up with a better way to live in the next 50 60 80 years than we have in the last 60 80 years you know like what kind of opportunity is that in the past though speaking of living in the Mm -hmm. past um Freaking senator! Oh my Jesus! Period. Oh my Jesus! That's all I really have to say right now. But just because we're recording this and uh, this could be heard in the future, uh, let me let me just pull up this quote real quick. Oh my lord! My God! Yeah. I literally read this and um, I was like. Is it 2020 or is it 1950? Because I don't know anymore. So for for anybody who's listening right now, it is 2020. And the word coloreds as a noun (laughs) is racist as s***. No matter where you say it, no matter what context you use it in. And people who are medical doctors should really know that okay yeah yeah. Uh, okay so i'm i'm about to go on a rant about this and i buckle in boys because here we go so the quote (laughs) the quote is um it's from the uh, cincinnati inquirer i believe um cincinnati.com and oh my They make you answer those questions about, like, like an ad question to be able to see the content. Dumb. Anyway, so the quote, um, the, so there was a hearing, um, this week for, um, a legislation to, um, make racism a public health crisis in Ohio, and during this hearing, Senator Huffman said, Um, Okay, actually, more context. I'll just read this. During a discussion with Angela Dawson, director of the Ohio Commission on Minority Health, Senator Steve Huffman, a doctor from Tip City, north of Dayton, said, I understand that African Americans have a higher incidence of prior, um, prior conditions, and that makes them more susceptible to COVID. 
But does that make them more? But does not make them more susceptible just to get COVID? We know it's twice as often, correct? Could it just be that African Americans, the colored population, do not wash their hands as well as others, or wear a mask, or do not socially distance themselves? Could it be maybe the explanation of why there's a higher incidence? Man, <laughs> I didn't know that I was washing my hands wrong, and also apparently it's been uh, that I've been at my house for like literally what is it now? It's June, so like four months, three months. I don't know. Time is irrelevant. Um, and this this is why this is why. So I I spent like a, a couple years without health insurance, and so I didn't see a doctor for a long time. Um, I ended up tearing my ACL and then, then I had to go to a doctor. So like that was different. But outside of that experience, I didn't want to, um, even when I got health insurance, I didn't want to set up a primary care physician because I didn't want to have to deal with bullshit like mm. this. Like this is why, mm. this is why, um, at least for me, my experience as a mixed race black person is that I don't want to deal with uh, white doctors that will try to gaslight me into believing that my uh, illness that I feel is not actually happening or try to convince me that I have something lesser or uh, who may give me lesser pain meds even though I'm in a great deal of pain because they believe that I might have a history of drug, drug abuse in my family just because I'm black. Like, this is why when I finally decided that I needed help with my um, my depression, that I had to look for uh, a woman of color to be my doctor. And uh, it was kind of difficult. I had to search through a lot of names to make sure that I was uh, finding a woman of color, finding a woman of color that wouldn't judge me for being like bigger, um, finding a woman of color who I believed um, wouldn't, like, the, the doctor that I ended up going with um, is not black. And so I had to, kind of judge um their their history and make sure that like i would feel comfortable with them and um even even after all of that research after my first appointment um i had to think like is this is this person <coughs> going to be safe for me to come back to it's the same reason why um when i got an iud last summer um and i said i wanted an iud the first thing my friend said was uh are you sure because doctors won't believe that you're in pain if you get hurt with the IED. They're like, make mm. sure you get a doctor mm. that you can mm. trust. Mm. And I was like, look, I'll find a women of color doctor. And I ended up finding a really great black um, gynecologist. And she was in my network and she was able to give me an IUD that, you know, doesn't hurt me. And I, I have come to her with like other issues and she uh, has not made me feel like I'm just making it up and totally validates any pain that I've been in. And I have to do all of this because of statements like this from somebody who's a legislator and a doctor. And now I can no longer trust doctors. And now, I mean, I couldn't trust legislators before, but like this. Girl. This is, this is it. Girl, I, this is I why, am with you. This is why. I, I'm with you. And I want you to know, um, just to fill you in a little bit, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, um, Stephen Huffman, and it's really important to note, um, Stephen Huffman 
not the same person as Matt Huffman, right? They are they are two different folk um, serving in the legislature. But Senator Steve Huffman from Tip City, Ohio, is not just any old doctor. Like, he's not, you know, like, I live in Ohio's 2nd Congressional District, and I have a representative who's a podiatrist, and he always goes by Dr. Brad Winstrip, right? So everybody, you know, thinks he's some, you know, glamorous, uh, you know, type uh, medical professional. The reality is... Um, he was a podiatrist that couldn't really keep his podiatry practice functioning, and now he's in uh, Congress. So I, I always have to remind people, like, you have to examine what kind of doctor people are when they say, I'm Dr. So-and-so. It's kind of like when people say, I'm the Reverend So-and-so. Well, let's take a look at where you went to school and, like, what your background is, because we all need to know, like, not saying that some education is, you know, automatically better than another, but, like, people need to know that not every person who puts a title in front of their name has the same kind of background. That's all to say, um, Stephen Huffman, Dr. Stephen Huffman, ought to know better because he's no podiatrist. He is no like secondary specialist. Dr. Stephen Huffman was an emergency room doctor in his in his practice and his work with his medical group, um, and and still is in that capacity. When you are an emergency room doctor. You deal with every part of the public. You deal with everybody that comes through the emergency room door. You have to have a great, great, great uh, amount of training, not only in medical specialties, a a broad general uh, practice, but you have to have cultural competence at the institutions that you practice and in the space that you practice. And first off, like the colored population, I I can't explain like how long has it been in in my life? Like I come from Appalachia. I understand like that phrase colored, right? Was acceptable for my grandparents and my great-grandparents because well, racism over racism was acceptable right it has not been acceptable um for me in my adult life at any point in time and i am not a young man right i know all of you might think that i am i'm very young as an eligible bachelor but let me tell you i have i have some trips around the side don't you laugh at me i hear i hear all that sniggering come on now no like i am not a young man and for my whole life, this has been an inappropriate phrase. So to sit here in freaking 2020, um, not to mention the moment that we're in, right? Like the moment where white America is starting to like generally snooze awake uh, to the racism that is still absolutely part and parcel of every element of our life. Um, to hear a legislator ask a question, first off, about the colored population, but then to to insinuate that the whole problem here is that somehow black people are just dirtier than white folk. Mm-hmm. So that pisses me off on so many levels. Like so like many literally levels. Literally, when I first saw it, I, I thought, thought it was satire. It was satire. Yes, yes. I thought maybe it was the. I onion. was like, this is obviously <laughs> like, <laughs> like some site that is. This can't be true. Like, there's no way they let him say. I I checked it. the URL right um, because I like Cincinnati.com. I was like, it, they've got to have like one too many ends or not enough T's or something going on in this. Mm-hmm. 
No. Well, and, and all of that made me angry, right? And and I I heard from literally every single person of color who I've talked to about this issue. Exactly. Part and parcel, Kelly, what you have shared. You know, white folk, often we do not really examine our epistemological privilege of being able to go into a doctor, tell a doctor what's wrong, and have them take us seriously. At no point in my life, hand to the risen Lord, at no point in my life have I ever had a doctor argue with me or tell me that my symptoms were psychosomatic. Never. Right? Even when likely they probably were, because let's be honest... I get a man cold like nobody's business, right? It shuts me down. I am I am I'm bad about that. But like I've never had a problem having, you know, a, a medical professional take me very seriously, offer me any options of treatment as if I know what the hell I need to choose, right? So when I hear this from folk from his original statement, right? I have had to like put my anger and my rage kind of like on the side because the reality is as mad as I am my anger has no like comparison to the anger of people who live this crap every single day what sent me like to another orbit was seeing his response yesterday did you get to see his response to the dispatch yesterday so so Senator Huffman had this to say now you you may want to put like anything breakable out of reach right now if you you've you've not seen this my desk ooh. is made ooh. of ooh, 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 ooh. so <laughs> if you're listening on the podcast you might want to put everything breakable out of reach because this was the statement that we got from senator steve huffman yesterday so daryl roland Direct quote from from Senator Steve Huffman, quote, Regrettably, I asked a question in an unintentionally awkward way that was perceived as hurtful and was exactly the opposite of what I meant. I was trying to focus on why COVID-19 affects people of color at a higher rate since we really do not know all the reasons. End of quote. Okay, for one, <laughs> um, the, the reason is because doctors like him say things like that, and so I will wait until I'm literally dying before I would go to the doctor. All these snaps. So snaps. I could have, if I had COVID-19 right now, I would not go to the doctor until I was literally about to die because of things like this. Mm-hmm. And two... Impact is always over intent. I don't care what your intention was. You're a state legislator. Mm-hmm. You don't get to to say like, oh, that wasn't my intent. When you have that much power, you you shouldn't be able to say that at all. Honestly, in my opinion, as a senator asking a question in a recorded, <clears throat> a literally a recorded hearing, you cannot give me. Oh, it wasn't my intent. The fact, the fact that the the colored population right? even beat right? in your vocabulary that is that is not a lot to me. The word "colored" as a noun about people that is not unintentionally awkward, right? That that's I asked a question in an awkward? unintentionally awkward way. No, you ask a racist question, and and on top of that, 
he did not need to put the colored population. Let's there. talk he could about have it. Taking that out, and it would not. Let, it would not have changed the. Let's structure. talk about it. Let's talk about it. And 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 the whole question that he gets at, you know, to, toward the end of his statement, you know, I I'm wanting to know since we don't really know all the reasons that COVID nineteen affects people of color at a higher rate. Well, actually, yeah, we we know a crap ton of reasons because if you listen to Dr. Amy Acton, the director of the Ohio Department of Health. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That just broke today. The former immediate past director of the Ohio Department of Health. I'm salty about that, folks. And we're going to come back to that at a later date when I'm out of my feelings. But right now, I'm just going to say, Dr. Acton has informed not only State Senator Hoffman, but everybody else in the legislature and the other 11.7 million Ohioans that many of the reasons that people of color are affected at a higher rate in this pandemic are the same reasons that people of color are affected at a higher rate for every single comorbidity that we track in the state. It has to do with poverty and racism. Mm -hmm. And when I see Senator Huffman say, oh, I apologize uh, for a question that was asked in an unintentionally awkward way that was perceived as hurtful. You know what I call that? I have I have a special pastor word for that. My my special pastor word for that is an apologies. It's the word apology, but halfway through you realize it's not really an apology, and you just go, "Geez." It's an apology. <laughs> like he did not just say this because what oh what what the God. what the apologies says is well I'm sorry that you felt that way. You know, white feelings are screwing up the whole world cuz it's not about feelings like you said. It's not about your intent, it's about your impact. And your impact right now, mm-hmm. Senator Huffman, is racist mm-hmm. as hell. That's why the ACLU of Ohio has called for the state senator to quit or be removed from office for his comments. And you can you can go look up Daryl Rowland's um, article about that in the Columbus Dispatch. But, like, mm-hmm. hand to God, this is why we do the work we do. Because we have people who are legislators in this state who still don't understand that the reason we have disparate health outcomes for people in these positions it's so essentially because of the work that is being done by racist legislators for racist health policy agendas. Mm-hmm. This is by design. This is not a flaw of the system. This is the feature of the system. This is what the mm-hmm. system gets us. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, like, the... Uh, like, for anyone listening... Here is how you do an apology. I don't care what you did. I don't care what your intentions were. I don't care what it was. This is how you apologize. You say, I'm sorry. I know that hurt you. And that is something I should not have done. I hope you can forgive me. But I accept if you can't. That is, like, I... You, you, you ask someone for forgiveness, you have to be willing to accept if they're, you know, hurt, you know, over whatever it is. And you cannot make excuses, you know? Mm. And, you know, I, I, will, I will be the first to admit that I have not always used this apology format correctly. And I, you know, I've, 
I messed up an apology, but especially if you're making a public apology to a whole community of people who especially are mad right now, just use this format, you know? You, you apologize, you accept if they cannot forgive you, and you do not make excuses for whatever it is you've done. You don't. <laughs> right. And and like the whole process, right? You apologize. You 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 get all those pieces in and then you do better. <laughs> you yes. you t- you turn and sin no more, right? Like you you go yes. and you try to do the best you can after that. You don't sit there and start to argue with folk over mm-hmm. over why you're really right even though you're sad that you're wrong. No, that that ain't how that works. No. And, you know, there's this part of me that wonders, if you as a state legislator are using phrases like colored to refer to whole whole ethnic groups of people and you're willing to posit within a public setting that people with darker skin are just dirtier than other folk... What are you doing when nobody's looking? How are you processing the world? How are you understanding the world when nobody is around to hear your reflections? Because I'm pretty sure you don't get somehow more inclusive or less racist when you're at home alone. I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. You know? I'm just, I'm taking a look here because um, I think it's really important for us to remember, you know, not only where some of these legislators come from, but also, you know, what their committee assignments are, right? Like, just taking a look. Okay, got it. So, taking a look at Senator Steve Huffman's committee assignments here. Um... (laughs) Senator Steve Huffman is on the Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee, the Education Committee, the Health, Human Services, and Medicaid Committee, the Insurance and Financial Institutions Committee, and the Subcommittee of the Finance Committee that is targeted toward health and Medicaid. So what we've got here is a man who believes, you know, to paraphrase him, just to put it all together, like, colored people is dirty... Right, his phrase, his phrase of meaning, not mine. Right, um, uh-huh. he who has that viewpoint is making policy about education for every single black, brown, indigenous person of color in our our state. Is making policy about health, about human services, about Medicaid and Medicaid expansion dollars. That allocation, making those decisions. He's making decisions about insurance and how financial institutions lend to people who he thinks are getting COVID more often because they don't wash their hands. This this is a situation. And the struggle is really for me, Kelly, that this man is not remarkable. He is not remarkable in terms of the... 33 state senators we have because I can find you half a dozen more just like him if not worse in terms of their um their overt racism their their real classist understanding of their position in the world 
And it's even worse in the Ohio House with their 99 members. I mean, you got all kinds of people over that place. Um, this is a, a cultural problem. It is not a situation where one person resigning or one person getting beat in a primary or a, a general election is somehow going to heal this problem. We have a sickness in the state of Ohio, and we have to get in rehab for it right now. Like, we, we are ill. We, we need a 12-step program for legislative malpractice in this state. And it's got to happen soon. Mm-hmm. It just does. Yeah, and it, like, to, to kind of go back to what we were talking about in the beginning about um, how people who are more conservative often um, commit themselves to this fundamental view that they cannot be wrong about this thing. Uh, when thinking about, like, the, the sickness that we have in Ohio, it's almost like... Um, if you were sick and refuse to believe that you're sick, you are, you know, displaying these symptoms and uh, it can, you know, sometimes when you're sick you get, like, angry or, like, snippy with people. At least that's what, what happens with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you hurt people, but you refuse to believe that you're hurting people. Mm-hmm. And you're sick and you refuse to believe that it's affecting you. And you go on in life and you let everyone else get sick around you because you refuse to wear a mask or stay away from people. That's a different story for a different day. But anyway. You know, I, I think we've got about seven additional podcasts that are going to peel off of this podcast <laughs> because um, yeah. this is our soul and we're bearing it and we have a lot to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I totally agree. Um, part of the struggle then is... How do we communicate in in a loving and firm manner to our wider society, our wider culture in the state? We are ill and we need a healing that is not going to come from prayer and uh, mm-hmm. no action. It's going to come from prayerful people taking action to mm-hmm. refuse to accept this kind of behavior from leadership to refuse to accept mm-hmm. these kind of outcomes from our policies and to demand mm-hmm. you know our values be codified into law instead of the values of a tiny tiny sliver of a minority of religious zealots in the state we we got to do that work you know and yeah when you first when you first said wider i heard it as a whiter oh and ooh. um and uh, on that note, talking about like uh, how how do we get it to the whiter audience, the the this like wider majority, um, I I have to say that like in the same way that um, you know I really appreciate you being um, on the the team at Ohio RCRC, especially as a cis white male. Um, uh, there has to be like allies that step in because um you know especially around this issue of race and like um around steve huffman like me me saying that this is racist is obviously not going to you know get through to him or people who support him or people who will excuse this comment as uh being you know it wasn't his intent to be hurtful i will not be able to convince those people it's it's people who, um, it's white people 
who are allying themselves with um, black people um, and standing up for black people. And I think, um, especially thinking back to that, that post that my chaplain posted earlier this week, you can't just be like silently supportive or like quietly um, on my side. Like you have to be vocal about it or these kinds of things happen and there's nothing I can do because <laughs> um, I'm not the majority and the people who are the majority are not willing to listen to my voice on this issue even though my voice should be like the most <laughs> like like my voice as in like uh, black people's voices around what isn't is not racist uh, should be the most heard and the most right. um, important voice around this issue but like white people <laughs> need to like stand up and say like this stuff is wrong and not just say it because like right now it's like the the black lives matter movement is like super popular and um everybody's talking about it you can't just say it because of that you have to genuinely work to be anti-racist and work against things that are racist mm-hmm. amen amen and i i think that struggle um white people want to fix everything white people white people are so interested we love a project we love a project we love uh you know a benefit we love like we want to do something where we can measure how good we are at it because that's our whole system the white success system is about i do i measure i reinforce my superiority in anything that I do. I, you know, I want to strive for that A plus. I want to strive for a hundred percent. I want to strive for, you know, the fastest mile. I want to strive for, uh, you know, the most money raised. The reality is that mentality of competition is what is destroying the fabric of our social construct because we can't compete our way to better public health outcomes because public health outcomes are about everybody getting a good shake nobody getting more than somebody else and i think you know part of what i struggle with as a as a white person in this work is that i struggle so hard to get fellow white folk to get out of the complacent space that they're in and move toward being an ally but once you get them activated, it's hard to shut them up. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I get you got all kinds of feelings about how folk have been treated. How about we listen to those folk? Right? Because the reality is, I have never been an African-American woman in rural St. Clairsville, Ohio, trying to get an abortion when I have two jobs and three kids and can't get um, out of there. Um you know, I I don't know what that's like. And until we hear those voices, until we hear the voices of those who are directly impacted, we don't know. You know, we're going to continue having people like, you know, these folk in in positions of authority like Steve Huffman who say, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just because y'all don't wash your hands. That ignorance is going to keep pouring out until that ignorance meets real experience. Um, and I, I, I think that's, that's our, our dual work is to empower the voices that are not heard now and to get the voices that can make a difference listening to the right material, right? Yeah. 
get 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 the and allies taking educated. that material and not not just like getting the material but also in the same way that um you were saying like after you apologize you have to take actions to move forward mm-hmm. so not just getting the material because you can read everything you want but if you do nothing about it like it doesn't matter that's right um, that's right so getting that material and like sharing it with others evangelizing people to be anti-racist oh now now we're back to evangelism oh my lord oh my lord we gotta because because what i think i think you're spot on there we've got to be as convinced that being an anti-racist is going to be healing for the world as the fundamentalists are convinced about their religious beliefs we we got to get religion about anti-racism and a whole lot of other things in this movement and, and people have got to put that risk out there. They've got to put that effort. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, I think we're I think I we're think wrapping up for good, number one, right? A good first episode. That that sounds good to me. Hello, everyone. It's Kelly from the future again, and I hope you enjoyed this second podcast um, from us here at Ohio RCRC. Uh, And I hope you will join us in the future as we talk about all the different intersections and all the different things that um, affect our work. So it was great having this conversation. And as Terry says, we'll see you all next time. Have a good day.